This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, and great to be together. And you'll, later, we'll just talk in a few moments, two perfect interviews, one on how crazy California is, and there are people that want to divide California into a new state, which is seems implausible to me, but I am open to anything, especially when good conservatives get together and say, hey, what are we doing here? So we will talk with Paul Preston in a few moments about that, his move to make a new state. And then former Congressman John Hostetler is going to join us. He's talking about the border and some issues at the border, which sets up for us what is the biggest issue for us to talk about. So we'll listen, wait for those interviews. You'll get them. And if you want to go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, you can go over there and you will see everything we're doing uh, in terms of these interviews. And also, very importantly, sign up for the uh, Daily Wink, the daily email, so you get everything you need to know as a daily email, uh, very important. And so today, let me give you the focus for what you should be focused on. It relates to both of our guests, by the way. I'm looking at a map. The, the, the data came out finally for the census. And the census shows that you're going to see that certain places are gaining seats, which means I got gain in population, and certain places are losing. So you won't, I don't think you should be surprised, maybe you will be, but I don't think you should be, that uh, Florida's gaining a seat, lots of people moving there, that Illinois is losing a seat, uh, that's not a surprise, West Virginia losing a seat, that's a little bit of a surprise to me, I was kind of surprised by that, and uh, California losing a seat, down from 53 down to 52. North Carolina gaining a seat, New York losing a seat, Pennsylvania losing a seat. Here's the one that everybody's surprised at, though. Uh, most people thought that Texas would gain one seat. They're gaining two. And so it looks like, and it, you know, again, it's hard to extrapolate because now they have to go to the legislature and, and actually draw, draw the maps, and it may, may not be done in time for this year at all. But the fact is that um, there is every indication that just by the maps – just by control, most of the redistricting in states is controlled by the state legislature. So there are, I think, almost, let me check here, hold on, more than, more than 20 states, more than 20 states where Republicans have total control. Total control. Democrats have total control in only a handful of states. Um, Maine, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, Delaware, Maryland, Illinois, New Mexico, Nevada, Oregon. Total control by the Democrats. Total control, though, for the Republicans, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida. Remember what I just told you? North Carolina gained a seat, right? Because when you gain a seat, you're going to have a chance to carve the thing up in a way that can make it advantageous to your side. So North Carolina gained a seat. Texas gained uh, gained two seats. Uh, let's see. Florida gained a seat. Um, I'm trying to look and see if there's anyone. Uh, Wyoming did not, but Montana gained a seat. I think Montana's split control, actually. You'd be surprised that Montana, it's, uh, they've got, oh, Montana's got an independent commission. Um, uh, but it's, um, uh, the independent commissions are always controlled by politics. So you don't have to, I mean, it's just a joke when they do that. But here's my point. The, um, every single metric Every single measurement, every single indication is that the Republicans should be poised to win in 2022. But you know what doesn't matter right now? 2022. So all the math you're going to see and all the analysis you're going to see and all the digging into that you're going to see, they're going to try to tell you this is what it means, that is what it means, here is what it means. None of it matters because remember what I told you last de last uh, week? The big deal is the big deal. Make the big deal the big deal. And it is not possible to win in 2022 if you don't get control of the narrative and the reality 
the narrative and the reality of election fraud. And well, let's say it differently. Voter confidence. I'm going to be very disciplined. Voter confidence is the question. Forget about election fraud. I don't know if there's election fraud or not. I know there's a lot of voter confidence problems. There's a lot of voters who have no confidence in the system. And so I will post up on social media a CNN story, an incredible story, CNN posted, that shows not only what they think, but also the plan. The plan in this story is that Donald Trump, the story starts out, Trump is still lying about the election. That's what the headline is. Trump's still constantly lying about the election. And then they show a poll that Quinnipiac's uh, poll that says 76% of Republicans think there was widespread fraud. Of course, there was a Rasmussen poll that showed that 35% of Democrats think there was uh, cheating that, that would have impacted the election. So, but anyway, it's Trump that did this, they say. And so the, the, um, now they, now the CNN piece goes on to quote federal judges who are saying, because people believe there was voter fraud and because Donald Trump has said that in public comments, then we must adjust how we adjudicate cases and handle citizens. In Sullivan's case, we're going, the unfounded allegations are out there and they're being made constantly by the former president, this federal judge said. And therefore, we must keep people in jail. That's literally what he said. And then he goes on. There's another. The next next one is this, that CNN's covering this and saying Trump's press releases, but also media outlets cheering him on. And they're giving false airtime to false claims about the election. Now, again, I don't know if they're false claims or not. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not only, uh, the, um, the, what Trump says that makes people wonder about the election. So here's another one. Another federal judge said, it's not as if the effort by some politicals and me- political leaders and media figures to stoke this anger has abated in any way. And so she was weighing, should we let people out because of this serious problem? And the Department of Justice weighed in. Remember I told you the narrative machine is what? Big tech, big media, and big government. In this case, you have the federal judges and DOJ. So that's big government weighing in CNN's big media to reinforce the message of what you... you Go ahead and if you want to say on Twitter, go tweet on Twitter. Tweet something like there's fraud in the election. The 2022 elections were not, 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 uh, not legitimate. Don't say, I didn't say it, by the way. I'm saying, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and say that. And if you do, you'll find you're knocked off of social media. And the point is this. We are seeing the setup. The setup is care about the elections, go into the the, the elections thinking you can win because you think it's going to be normal, and then watch yourself get rolled just like what happened to, in 2020. In 2020, the Democrats said, they wrote an article about it in, uh, in uh, one of the big magazines where they quoted at length, and they said, we all banded together to control the election. I think it was Time Magazine. Time Mag- we're going to control the election. We're going to use our, our, our all of our uh, talents, all of our tools to control the election because we have to get rid of Trump. And when they did, it was not called manipulation. It was not called uh, fraud. It wasn't called anything. It was called the perfect election. And again, last week we had John Dross on. John Dross is a physicist who's just a researcher, and he's cataloged in his report one after another, one after another of, of examples of, of not only what he saw, but he also has an appendix that shows the number of entities that had before 2016 said, oh my gosh, there's some problems with this election. Problem with the, There's a real problem. There's a real problem. Uh, uh, he calls it an Appendix A, Sample of Pre-2020 Election Reports. 
And he goes through this 1988, 2006, 2008, 15, 16. And, and then it starts even after 17. They're talking about how um, the electoral system's in crisis. And one of the ones I like the best is a 2016 uh, report. I think it was 2016 uh, of by Wharton, the school uh, Wharton School, and Wharton is saying, "Hey, these these systems, these machines are really hard to think that they can work right." This is Wharton, Wharton School. It's not like somebody made it up. It's not like some you know. It's not somebody that fly by night. This is there. It is a Wharton report, 2017, the business of voting, and the Wharton Business School says there's a real problem with the structure of the election technology in, in industry because they're all overlapping. I'm summarizing it. And there's a worry. That's all in these reports. So you're watching the narrative machine, which is, is teeing up the American psyche, the American people, and especially the Republican Party to focus on 2022, when in front of them for months and months beforehand, you cannot win an election if you don't make the big deal the big deal and understand why there's a lack of confidence in our election system, why there's a major problem in our election system, why people don't have confidence, whatever the reason they got there, why they don't have confidence is because what they're perceiving. And you can blame it on Trump if you want. It's crazy to do that. But you can blame it on Trump if you think that's going to help you, but it's not going to help Republicans or conservatives or we the people. That's the, that's the big deal that they're missing. All right, that's what I want to talk about. We got to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with. Uh, first, we'll talk, I think, with Paul Preston, uh, this gentleman who wants to make California a new state. Kind of a quirky, um, well, kind of a quirky plan. But we'll see if he can answer how they're going to do it, what they're going to do, because I think they need to rely on the state legislature in uh, California. It doesn't seem like that's too conservative. So uh, we'll find out. And then we'll also talk with our uh, friend. I've had him on before, former Congressman John Hostetler. Uh, we'll see what he has to say about the border. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Excuse me, Pro America. Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the daily email, listen to all these great links, and uh, check it all out. Be right back. Ed Martin. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest, very interesting topic. Paul Preston is the founder and president of the Movement for a New California State. He does his own uh, podcasting and radio work. He's uh, got a website, NewCaliforniaState.com. And uh, he is commenting on, well, the news, of course, that the House of Representatives is pushing to make D.C. a state. Some are pushing up Puerto Rico be a state. Of course, you don't really have a, you don't hear why that's a good idea, except if you know anything about politics, you know. Two more senators from D.C. would be a mess. Uh, so, first of all, Paul Preston, welcome to the program. Tell me, what exactly is the movement for a new California state? Tell us what the new state would be, how you'd split it up. Give us the walkthrough on what your uh, organization advocates. Well, thank you very much for having me on and to uh, be able to speak about New California State, the next state of the, you know, the 51st state. And the New California State movement is a state that's uh, been maturing now for the last five years intensely it started about you know 10 12 years ago but it's really all of a sudden started to take off we have uh, incorporated uh, nearly 56 counties in new california and 58 counties of california and uh, we divided up the state up by demographics by where the populations were and we found that in the la county area in in um San, San Francisco and Sacramento area that had about 20 million people. And the rest of California, uh, 90% of the land mass, all rural California, has about 20 million people. So I thought that was a pretty fair shake that um, <laughs> New California would uh, get the rest of 90% of California and 
uh, the uh, the great utopia that California has become could be found in uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Sacramento. I think that's a pretty good idea, don't you? <laughs> I guess so. And so, I well, there, there has been a lot of talk. I mean, and, and you know, I'm, I happen to be a lawyer, among other things. A lot of people say, you know, the Ninth Circuit, which includes California, Oregon, uh, Washington State, Hawaii, Alaska, I think uh, maybe even Arizona is ridiculously big. You know, California is too big and too cumbersome. But what's the reality? I mean, you have 40% of California's conservative, maybe a little bit less, but they never seem to vote right. That, well, you no, disagree? What do you think it is? Court. Yeah, the voting is so corrupt out here. Remember, California has long been leading the way for the last 20 years with Dominion, Smartmatic, um, you know, and uh, all the other things out there to make it corrupt. So our, our election systems mm-hmm. are completely corrupted. Winners are chosen months in advance as to who's going to be winning what. And uh, there's a cartel system out here that is associated with the Mexican cartels that run the elections. And so we know that. And uh, that's uh, especially now since... Uh, the election of 2020, it's very much exposed. So uh, this whole system is becoming a big focal point here in California. But um, the, the, the reality check for me is I've been to all 58 counties, and California is a deeply red state. It's been simply because of the voting system, plus they've had control of the legislature. They've managed to work their way into complete control of the legislature, and they've had financing on San Francisco to be able to do that, plus the media. So conservatives and Republicans have been totally beaten down, uh, you know, literally over the last 20, 25 years, and they've never really been in power um, for a lot of different reasons, you know, California has changed its constitution over 600 times. And recently, in the last 15 to 20 years, they've really focused in on how to get a monoparty system together and yield what we have today in the dictatorship of Gavin Newsom. We don't have a Republican form of government in California, and we haven't had for really about the last 15 years. So we're going to bring all that back in New California. Um, we're bringing that back to a Republican form of government that we don't have today. What again? What what kind of response do you get from people? I mean, I, 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 whatever number whatever number you say uh, is the number of people in California, you still got to you still got to pass it on the ballot, right? That's the problem. There's no there's no ballot um, in Article Four, Section Three, state split. The state split um, requires that if you want to form a state from a pre-existing state, then you have to get the permission of the legislature's concerned, and then that of the Congress. This is a this is a legislative act that it's basically a resolution uh, that has to be approved by the Assembly and by the Senate of California, and then we move on to Congress where they approve a resolution also. So it's the lowest level, the lowest bar um, of a of a bit of a legislative act that uh, the founding fathers wanted for a new state. The founding fathers knew that there would be a time and the probability that one of the states might run aground and become part of the dictatorship or become a democracy, which they feared. The word democracy is not used in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, or the Bill of Rights, because the founding fathers knew that democracy meant mob rule. And so they left completely out. That's why we are a republic. And why California today is a democracy. And you hear this word all the time being bannered around, but we gotta save the democracy. No, we wanna, we wanna destroy the democracy and save the republic. You know, I was in uh, Utica Park in Angels Camp. That's where the great, um, Mark Twain, um, came alive and 
you know, it was interesting. This was back in the old gold rush days. And I was giving a presentation last week and at the Utica Park, which happened to have been the old Utica mine, in which uh, 17 miners died in one day because of a coal mine or a gold mining accident. And uh, it took them 20 years to recover the bodies. But I was making the point to the audience that on this hollowed ground that we stood, that those miners who died on this land, they would always, they would not know what the term de- democracy or to be a Democrat other than the party system was about. They only knew that this country that they lived in and they were working hard to um, improve uh, was a republic. And they always referred to America, the United States as a republic. And you always heard, save the republic for the good of the republic. You never heard this terminology about a democracy. A democracy is like uh, Benjamin Franklin said that it's uh, three animals in the barnyard and they vote to have dinner. It's a two to one vote. The two wolves vote to eat the lamb. We also Mm -hmm. said that, you know, if you have a well-armed lamb, then that, of course, changes the whole equation. <laughs> the well-armed lamb being, of course, a Republican form of government, representative form of government. We do not have a representative government in California any longer, which is a violation of Article 4, Section 4 of the Guarantee Clause. first element of the Guarantee Clause is the federal government must maintain, and so the state government must maintain a Republican form of government keep us free from invasion and keep us free from domestic violence. And you see our case from in California, the government's no longer doing that at all. No one is free from invasion. But 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 what do we? How do you? I mean, I hear you, and I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Paul. We're talking with Paul Preston again, and uh, uh, founder and president of the movement for a new California state. But what's the next step to do it? You said the legislature, House and Sen- the Assembly, and the Senate right. of California have to pass it. Right. And, you know, this has been done three times before. You know, you have Maine, Kentucky, and West Virginia. And the last time it was done was, of course, Virginia. So we're following their model. Um, we've organized our counties into committees, and our committees will be the spearhead of negotiations with the legislators concerned. That means our Assembly and our Senate. They approve it very much like there's, there's only a couple things that the legislature does outright legally to, to approve state new states and also approve election laws. <laughs> Isn't that funny how this is all coming together? Um, right. So we, we absolutely believe California is $150 billion in debt today, cash flow debt. In other words, you open up the bank account and you look in the bank account and the letters for $56 billion are all in red in your checkbook. That's what what Gavin Newsom plays every day. And the reason why we've had this COVID business going on is he wants to distract from everybody that the state is broke, the state is dysfunctional, it has no ability to govern any longer. And that's a fact. California is an ungovernable state. And, of course, the major evidence of that is that the schools are closed. The number one function in the Constitution of California is to provide money for the education of kids. And California has failed since March 4th, 2020, to open its schools 100%. They only are open sporadically. We're telling people, and then people are realizing it, that you know the, the, the there's 5 million school kids in California, and the estimate is that not even half of them have been going to school for over a year now. I mean, that's just uh, that's just intolerable. And because we have the statutory 
that we have a structural deficit now that was declared in February, they won't be going to school next year or the year after that. There's no money for them. So what do you do? To, mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about taxation without representation. We just paid our property tax and everything, and I told people why. <laughs> you know, the founding fathers fought a revolution over this. And yeah. And so, all right, uh, all right, Paul, let me, d I think a lot of people feel what you feel and I do in many ways. The question is, how do you get from where, what you feel and what you're sensing to the solution? Well, and I guess the, the best movement. thing you say is, it's, yeah, it's right. right. And, and, and one, we've organized yeah. all of our people and we're, we've had, we declared independence on January 15, 2018. We've had seven constitutional conventions. We're having our eighth one at the end of the month or at the end of May. And Sidney Powell and Joe Arpaio are going to be there as our, our keynotes. And uh, then we're, we're moving on to negotiations with the actual state. And we have a time frame to work in. Um, this is the best in, in which they're going to probably say absolutely yes. We anticipate 100% that they're going to say yes to our um, structural restructuring of their debt and, and uh, taking over the rural lands of California. Um, it sounds uh, daunting, but I'm glad. It sounds like you're very organized, so that's the important thing. And I will make sure we push people towards the website to take a closer look. Again, Paul Preston is the founder and president, and uh, his website is newcaliforniastate.com. Thanks, Paul, for the time, and we'll have you back on. Keep us informed. I'm interested to hear how the next uh, Constitution meeting goes. That's uh, coming up in a, in a month or a little bit less than a month. So uh, we'll talk again Absolutely. soon. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you, and we'll be back for a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, we have an, a very interesting guest next. John Hostetler is a former member of Congress, and he is uh, he was Indiana, I think the 8th Congressional District, if I remember correctly, and uh, he was up in uh, Congress for a while. I'm a little bit more than a decade. Again, I'm th thinking about my notes, which I don't have in front of me. Uh, but he is uh, he's the signatory, one of the signatories, on a letter that went to uh, Joe Biden, as well as to, uh, uh, to uh, Pelosi, Schumer, McCarthy, and McConnell, everybody, uh, basically about uh, the border and the border protection and what's going on. Now, why it's so interesting is Congressman, former Congressman John Hostetler served in the uh, in the Congress and served on the key committees uh, that were dealing with these issues. I, I think it was um, uh, the subcommittee was uh, immigration and border security, I think. So I welcome, first of all, John Hostetler. Thank you, former Congressman. Nice to have you on. Thank you. Good to be with you, Ed. Uh, so let me ask you first, uh, when you look back on your time, you were 90s, in mid-90s into the mid-2000s, uh, obviously got inter interrupted by 9-11, which changed everybody's focus profoundly. But how did we understand the um, the immigration issue? Were we hoping it would get better? I mean, only six or seven years after you were in office, I mean, before you got in office, uh, Ronald Reagan had signed that what turned out to be a bad amnesty deal. But people thought, well, this is a way to put it behind us. Now it'll get better. Instead, we're 30 years later. It's kind of clearly worse. But where where are we in the in the broad sort of uh, immigration debate in this country? Well, Ed, you actually start at an excellent point 
to begin this conversation with the 86 legislation. That was a few years before I came to Congress. But 1986, President Reagan signed into law the Immigration Reform and Control Act, uh, which established uh, an unprecedented amnesty for what was uh, – what was couched to members of Congress at that time to be about 300,000 individuals who were unlawfully in the country. When when uh, all the dust settled and individuals were processed, it actually came out to be slightly more than 3 million individuals uh, received amnesty as a result of the 1986 Act. But prior to the signing of that bill, uh, President Reagan uh, made a statement, and at the very end of the statement, he made it clear that a part of the promise, even though it wasn't necessarily specifically outlined in that particular legislation, part of the promise was to secure the border. And as you pointed out, uh, we are uh, we are uh, 35 years later, and the border has still not been secured. Uh, but that is something that that we believe here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and 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 I believe since, as you mentioned, I was on the. Uh, on the subcommittee and, and chaired that to look at border security that, that we've got to we've got to keep that promise now at that time in the late 1990s early 2000s the draw uh, was an economic one individuals came to the united states uh, unlawfully between ports of entry uh, for the same reason that others came and that was to for, for an economic benefit um, but since that time, what has changed to today is, uh, as opposed to running away from in the, from border patrol agents uh, as they would uh, approach the migrants that had unlawfully come into the country, uh, today they're coached by the smugglers to actually actually approach the right. law enforcement in green uniforms and and to claim asylum. Uh, given that the the president, the previous president, President Trump's Department of Homeland Security, started a, a migrant protection protocols uh, uh, program with Mexico, otherwise known as Remain in Mexico. So individuals that came into the country and made an asylum claim, if they weren't from Mexico, um, and the vast majority of them weren't, it, it, they were ret- they were returned. Those individuals were returned to the last place they came before they came into the United States, and that was Mexico, For while their claims were being processed. That took the, the apprehensions at the border to less than a sixth of what they were. Uh, in, in May of 2019, there were over 140,000 apprehensions. By the following May, uh, that number had dropped to slightly over 20,000. Uh, but given that President Biden Reverse that process, at least uh, enrollments into the Remain in Mexico program. Now they're between May of last year and March of this year, the the apprehensions have gone up more than seven fold. And so and so what the letter attempts to do is is to convince the Biden administration that there is a crisis at the border. For whatever reason, they don't seem to believe there is one um, and to and to ask them for a, a set of policy changes, including putting back in place the Remain in Mexico program, in order to, in order to, uh, for this crisis to uh, be abated. 
Uh, we're, ta- we're, we're talking right now with uh, John Hostetler, a former congressman from Indiana and now uh, one of the senior leaders uh, at te- the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He referenced TexasPolicy.com. You can learn all about it there. Um, and, Congressman, um, if you're out in the normal America, you're looking up and you're saying, how can this keep going on, right? You know, if you're a Trump supporter, you looked up when they said kids in camp and, you know, kids in cages. You said, wait, that's what Obama did. And you thought that's hypocritical. You still have Biden with kids in, uh, you know, uh, fiberglass uh, huts or whatever you want, however the phrase. But most Americans are looking up going, Congress can't get anything done. Government can't get anything done. Like it, it's now, you know, it's sex. It's not, it's not quite this, but I'll say it for dramatic effect. It's sex trafficking on the border with the cartels in charge because they're sending unaccompanied minors and and we're still sort of talking about whether Trump built 100 100 miles of wall or not I mean how come we can't get you know clear uh, uh, action done how come it's not a crisis well, it's it's not a crisis in the eyes of, of the administration and the majorities in Congress and that's evident by the fact that uh, previously this year Congress, uh, the House of Representatives uh, specifically passed legislation to expand uh, individuals to be given legal status in the country uh, and uh, individuals who were unlawfully in the country to give them legal status. Now, that's not an, an amnesty bill. The Biden administration would like to put forward another amnesty bill. But but these type of initiatives, rather than rather than addressing the actual crisis at the border or simply fueling that crisis. When when Congress does these things, when the president uh, makes these policy changes, puts in place, then they simply attract more individuals to, to the border. And, and it, it's difficult at this point to believe that that is not intended. In fact, uh, Ed, if you go to a directive that was issued by the Department of Homeland Security on the first half day of the new Biden administration on January 20th, uh, earlier this year, you'll find that, that when they terminated enrollments in this Remain in Mexico program, in the same order, they make a point to say, to try to convince people south of the border that, that, uh, their immigration amnesty that they're going to uh, put in place uh, later on in this Biden administration only will affect people who were in the country before January 1st, right. 2021. So from the very beginning, right. the Biden administration has known what the results of these policies changes would be. And it and I, I think that it, it would be slightly naive to believe that they were not intended. We're talking again with uh, Congress, former Congressman John Hostetler. He's uh, so one of the senior leadership of the Texan, Texas Public Policy uh, uh, Foundation. You can go to TexasPolicy.com, find out more. Um, uh, Congressman, can I ask you a question, a broad question? In 95 to the time you served in the mid or late to mid uh, 2000s, just before 2010, the, the Republican policy kind of had been, well, we're, you know, we, again, we got burned on Reagan's uh, amnesty, but we're trying to figure it out. And there was gangs of six and gangs of others. Uh, Donald Trump turned the equation upside down, right? I mean, there's 
there's not the Republican Party now is as you know conservative on this issue of again we'll all have um, we all have sympathy for children of course and kids but we're looking at this and we're saying we've got to secure the border I mean we move past that and yet we watch the Chamber of Commerce is, is backing some Democrats uh, because of I don't know other issues I it, it does seem like there's a that's a schism in the Republican Party do you see that as a guy that's not in office that doesn't have to raise money or get votes the same way you do you see that sort of uh, shift well I, I do see that shift uh, however um, and that that is not much of a shift from even the days I was in Congress that the simple fact of the matter is that there were uh, many in the business community that sought to have uh, a greater pool of potential labor in, in the country and so it was very mm. difficult to get some changes made even back then even though uh, we put in place for the first time uh, E-Verify, which is a is a uh, voluntary system whereby uh, employers can can check on the status of potential hires. Um, but to your point, it, it is an ongoing issue that that the Republican Party has to deal with that we all have to deal with in that. To the point you made earlier, this is causing massive amounts of trafficking in, in, in humans, whether it's sex trafficking or, or slavery uh, or, or, or some other uh, uh, disastrous, uh, catastrophic impact on people's lives that, that come, to the, come to the border. Many of them come to the border not realizing that they'll ultimately be trafficked or enslaved once they get into the United States and they, they reach the hands of their uh, of the handlers of the cartels and the transnational gangs who who got them here in the first place. So th- this is something that, that has to be solved, uh, and it has to be solved understanding uh, the, the the impact, first of all, to the United States and to Mer- Americans here, but also the, the grave consequences to the children and the women and others who are trafficked uh, as a result of these disastrous policies. Hmm. All right, we got to run. John Hostetler, former congressman, thank you. He's one of the senior leaders of the Texas Policy, excuse me, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, you can go to texaspolicy.com. I'll put his letter up on, uh, on our social media also. Uh, thank you very much, Congressman. Great to be with you, Ed. All right, thank you. And we'll take a break, everybody. We'll come right back. And don't forget, uh, you can go to proamericareport.com and listen to these interviews. I post them over there as standalone links so you can catch up there and uh, listen uh, there if you liked what you heard and wanted to go back and listen. So proamericareport.com. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. America's favorite tuber has officially been buried by woke leftists. Toy company Hasbro announced that the iconic Mr. Potato Head series of toys will be relaunched under the more generic branding of Potato Head. This is a sad day for a parent and child alike who fondly remember the nostalgic toy. Mr. Potato Head was an all-American success story. Inventor George Lerner is believed to have come up with the idea as a way to make vegetables more appealing to children. When Hasbro bought the idea and marketed it with the first ever toy commercial on television, 
A million Mr. Potato Head kits were sold in the first year alone. Now, Hasbro is kowtowing to the leftist mob by trying to rebrand Mr. Potato Head to be more inclusive. Hasbro Senior Vice President Kimberly Boyd complained that the old Mr. and Mrs. branding was limited when it comes to both gender identity and family structure. It sounds like Boyd and the other executives in the toy world have spent a little too long in their mandated diversity and sensitivity training. They clearly do not have their fingers on the pulse of average American children or parents. Parents do not want toys to be vehicles of liberal indoctrination. It didn't work for the 2019's gender-neutral Barbies, and it didn't work for Ms. Monopoly. Target can dismantle boy aisles and girl aisles in their toy department if they want to, but they cannot change human nature. Most boys will still want to play with guns, while most girls will still want to play with dolls. Feminists have claimed for years that the gender distinction of toys is a social construct, but kids do not seem to be getting the message. If Hasbro disagrees, I'd like to see them admit how many girls are buying G.I. Joes and how many boys are buying My Little Ponies. Most parents know the importance of monitoring what their children watch on television. However, they forget that the depiction of the family in toys affects how children see the role of real families. Make sure your children know that Tater Tots deserve to be raised by both a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And let's wrap things up today. Just got a quick segment. I want to point you to, I'm hoping I have her on the show later in the week. Uh, there is a piece that was written by our friend Carol Mankiewicz, uh, who writes at the New York Post. And she said, let's break our Amazon addiction and start saving local small businesses. Uh, I was reminded of her. Actually, I saw it. I read it. And I thought this woman is, first of all, she's a very good writer and very persuasive and important. Uh, but she's right about this. She's recounting how during the... Um, pandemic during the lockdown and all the stuff a lot of us did a lot of things and we used uh, amazon to deliver stuff and walgreens and everything else and um frankly it was easy it was convenient it a lot of times it was cheaper that's the truth right i mean we know that we're not um you know it's not like we're making that up i mean we we this is the uh the 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 reality was that was the habit that people were having were getting into their system and that was the reality right and so now she's saying hey we're through the pandemic can't we um kind of regroup and think this through and see if we can maybe do it a little different and um and that's the question um the um the i agree with her and i and so how can we do this you know and here's let me give you a quick example we use a lot of amazon i'm not gonna deny that right and, and so but we started using walmart for some things and we found out that walmart's um service is a, is not as good Right. Two or three times we had Walmart problems with mailing the wrong thing or including something extra, something like that. Never had that. Never had that at all with um, any of the um, 
any of the uh, of the um, uh, uh, Amazon stuff. And so, but so anyway, here, but here's the kind of thing we talk about: what we can do, what can we do together, how can we do something? When you think about that, if you think to yourself, "I'm going to go out of my way to change my buying habits," I'm going to go out of my way to see if I can uh, buy differently. And um, th- this is a good example. Now, I'm going to add one layer onto this. Um, it, it, well, the one layer to add onto this is um, that you can also use this website. There's other websites, one called ChinaNever.com, that lets you see clothes that are made, ChinaNever.com, clothes that are made in America, so you're not buying Chinese goods, which is another good thing to do. So there's a lot of things to do, and I just want to touch on this. And again, I'll put it up on social media. Carol Mankowitz's point, let's break our Amazon addiction and start saving local businesses. She recounts how she was shopping online, it was easier, all these things. She goes into why, the details, the how Amazon saw huge gains, small businesses got killed. Whatever the past was, we can change the future by changing our uh, behavior. So she's encouraging that. I think it's a great idea. And again, my only uh, addition was to add the China never piece to it and uh, and overlay that on the top because I think that's um, worth remembering uh, that part of it. So um, that's all I've got today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to our great technical director, the great uh, Noah, and also Joanna for booking our guests. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, to uh, track down all these interviews and other things and sign up for the daily email. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.